from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Sorry for starting a couple minutes behind here on the broadcast this morning. I started doing something, and this morning I got pretty hyped about it, pretty excited. I've always been a card buyer. And as of this morning, I'm a card seller, which is pretty awesome and pretty crazy. Thanks to eBay, I have been selling some of my stuff that I don't need anymore and get rid of some stuff in the house. And I am now officially a card seller, which is pretty awesome and pretty interesting. And it helps me to, you know, make the most of I've spent a lot of money over the years and now I have the opportunity of selling and making some of that money back, recruit, recruit, recouping some of that for the family. So it's uh, it's kind of fun this morning to say that I actually started selling sports cards today. So it's been good. It's been fun. And I hope that you check them out online and see all the things that we have to offer. Just put another one up this morning. So thank you to everybody that's, uh, that's checking them out and that's buying up the stuff and, and all the things that we've been selling. So thank you so much for what you all have uh, have done to make this a new little venture for me and something fun for, for me to do. So much appreciated. Much thanks for you for doing that. So this is this is cool, you know. So we're a few minutes behind today because I woke up this morning and I made a sale and it was really cool and I'm really excited about it. So it's uh, it's been a fun time and I... Uh, I definitely am looking forward to it. I got a lot of stuff in the house to get rid of. And, you know, when you're a collector, you want to, you know, you want to give that to somebody else. You know, maybe I have a Spider-Man comic that I'm just not, you know, it's taking up space in my house, but somebody really, really wants to put it up in theirs. Or maybe they want to read something or like, you know, some of the things we have electronics, you know, I, I don't have the time to sit and play video games. And so, you know, if I have video games that I can give to somebody else and, you know, you could play with it or your kid can play with it, why not? So, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting this venture off and giving it a chance and hoping that it'll, you know, be some fun here. But that's what I was doing this morning, this morning before I jumped in the studio as I was I was selling some stuff. So and it was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. So good morning. I hope you're doing well and I hope everything is going well for you out there today. And uh, big ups and a big thanks to everybody for listening in to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time right here on WakeUpCallDT.com and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Shout out to Papa Joe because I know that the uh, we got some family listening down in that beautiful, 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 beautiful state of Florida, the second home of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, right behind Central and Upstate New York. So I want to thank uh, Papa Joe and the fam for tuning in and being a part of the broadcast. And we hope you enjoyed today, folks. We got a lot to discuss, so let's get into the morning menu so we can make it happen. Here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. 
we like to start off the show by giving you our menu of topics. The morning menu, that is. Live now with the morning menu is Dan Tortora. Here on today's show for Wednesday, May 2nd. We are just a couple days away from May the 4th. Be with you. I'm very excited about that. But today, Wednesday, May 2nd, very, very, very stoked to tell you that we're going to continue the conversation on the NFL draft. And we are going to have Eric Kroom join the show. Eric Kroom is a former defensive lineman for the Syracuse Orange football team right here in Central New York. He's also a former lineman of the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Carolina Panthers. Spent some time in the NFL a few years ago, bounced around a little bit, some time with the Green Bay Packers as well. He's going to join me today to give his analysis and his thoughts on the NFL draft. As I told you folks, we're going heavy on the draft this week. And we started off with my discussion going team by team. We still got a bunch of teams to get to in the 2018 NFL draft analysis post-draft. So I did some of that on Monday. And then yesterday we featured sports writer and good friend Ross Turetsky on the show and had a great time with him speaking on his thoughts on the NFL draft him coming from Northeast Pennsylvania, and then today from Detroit, Michigan, will be joined by former NFL and Syracuse defensive lineman Eric Kroom to give his take on the 2018 NFL Draft. We'll be discussing a bunch of different topics, and I'm very excited to have him join the show in just a few minutes, and that's going to be today's show today. We might have an opportunity to get some to get to some of the NBA playoffs, the Toronto Raptors led for all four quarters against LeBron James in Game 1, only to let LeBron and the Cavs come back in in the regulation to go to overtime, and the Raptors lost by one measly, disgusting point. That's it. They lost by one point. That's it. So, the Toronto Raptors lose Game 1, at home to LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers, a game that was in their grasp that they should have had, but they did not close. And this has been the Raptors' problem. They don't close games out all the time. They don't do it all the time. Now, they have the advantage on Cleveland because they have more home games than Cleveland does, okay? If If the games go to seven, if we go to all seven games in the series, it's four in Toronto, three in Cleveland. So you got to win the ones in Toronto, and you got to try and win in Cleveland. You have to prove you can win on the road, but you got to win at home. The Toronto Raptors leading for all four quarters and dropping the game in overtime by one point. One point. Now, don't even get me started on the fouls that weren't called and the fact that LeBron James elbowed two people in the face toward the end of the game. But outside of that, and the thing is, I mean, and it is, you know, LeBron James is a phenomenal player. But I don't want anybody to say that he's not like Michael Jordan because he is. There's 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 <laughs> there's a very easy parallel between him and Michael Jordan. He doesn't get called for fouls and neither does Michael Jordan. So there you go. But with that being said, we're going to get into that maybe later on in the show here for a little bit, but we're going to get Eric Kroom on to speak on the NFL Draft coming up here in just a moment. Let's take a step aside for a fast break. Enjoy these messages from the great partners we're happy to be working with here in Central and Upstate New York, and then we will be back to discuss the NFL Draft in just a moment. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. 
Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or ice milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvalanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Clothing that will change with you without you having to change. DrysigLady.com, D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, Lady.com. With the bamboo line, relaxed fit clothing, as well as the athletic fit clothing, DrysigLady.com is fit for any woman, any time of the day, anywhere. Whatever you're doing, whatever your day commands of you, Command yourself to feel comfortable in Dreisig Lady Apparel. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com. For all the women out there, feel good in what you're wearing. And don't feel like you have to constantly change throughout the day. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a business owner, going for a jog, going for a meeting, or just relaxing at home, DrysigLady.com is the right fit for you. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513 or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, gotta take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name, so give it one more time. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell them your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. It is an honor and a privilege to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time on your airwaves to your tablet, your iPad, your iPhone, your smartphone, Samsung, whatever the heck you may have, your desktop, your laptop, whatever has the internet. At this point, they're going to start putting internets in porter potties and all over the place. But the Wi-Fi is available everywhere. I'm surprised it doesn't just follow you when you walk. So there's so many different ways to listen into the show. We thank you however you're doing it right here on MixLR.com backslash call. DT. With that being said, the show that goes with you, somebody that's been with us here for the last few months, and I love the opportunity of having him, 
is the man they call Eric Kroom, former Syracuse and NFL defensive lineman. And you can be sure that we didn't get too deep into the defensive side of the ball yet of this draft, but I'm excited to do so with this gentleman as well as talk about so much more that has to go with the decisions made by NFL teams that just happened recently about a week ago here today if we're looking at that first day of the draft. So without further ado, I'm excited to have him join the show, and that is Eric Kroom. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. And and to look at this draft and, you know, let's start here because I know there's a bunch of things we're going to discuss. What was your biggest, this probably is going to lead into it, what was your biggest surprise of this year's NFL draft? Uh, Baker Mayfield going number one. That was a big surprise to me. And when you look at that, when you look at the fact of, of Baker, and I, I don't, I don't, disagree with you by any stretch of the imagination anybody that's listened to the show from friday to today knows how how confused i am by that pick but when that happened just bring me into what was going through your mind about the cleveland browns decision oh it was just oh it was just seemed like they just trying to hit a home run instead of just playing what they think is going to lead them to the future they say okay i think he's just a hit or miss prospect he's gonna be really good or he's gonna be bad i don't think he's just gonna be a solid quarterback and i think they just was looking at okay they missed on johnny Manziel, and he's the closest thing you got a mold they're trying to sell some tickets i think as well because it just was like they didn't pre-hype him or anything like that so they, i guess they tried to keep it very quiet so they could surprise anybody with a pick they feel like they just wanted to make a splash pick honestly and when you see that, like, they want to hit a home run, they want to make this happen, you know, can Baker Mayfield, in your opinion, can he be a home run? Um, do you do you see that this could be a possibility? Uh, it's, anything is possible. I'm just a person, I'm not really sold on big club quarterbacks at all because there's really no defense in their conference. But anything is possible. I think he's talented, he can throw the ball well, and he's consistent in college, but the NFL is a whole other beast. And he's playing in cold weather, he's played in hot weather the majority of his career, playing down in the South. Then you got to go up against Big Ben and Andy Dalton in that division. So it's going to be it's gonna be interesting to see it. And it's just weird you draft the quarterback number one and you don't even think he's the starter. You, know, you said Tyrod Taylor's the starter, so why would you waste his number one pick if you you want him to be your starter, even though he just might be the bridge guy to be ready to give it to Baker. I still think you could have got him at four if you wanted Baker Mayfield, me personally. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And 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 when you look at that, when you look at the fact that you know Baker Mayfield is, like you said, he came from the Big Twelve, and and I agree with you know what I've heard out there by I think it was Colin Coward that said it that this this is. This is the pill. It's a pillow fight conference. You know, it's like no, you go, no, you go. So I mean, it's not a real. This is. I mean, this. You went up. I mean, you know what it's like. I mean, Eric Syracuse has played against West Virginia. Played against Geno Smith. There, these teams outscored teams. That's how they won games. They scored forty-five points, fifty points, seventy points in a game. It's and that's and that's like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. There is no defense. It's just it's just an offensive show, which makes people go, "Oh my God, Baker Mayfield is so good! Look at everything that he's done. He's so amazing." But in reality, is he though? Is he really that amazing when you look at? 
the defenses he went up against. And when he actually played teams that were going to front him and push him on defense, he struggled. He struggled at the end of the season. So, you know, Baker Mayfield, they're trying to make a home run. But mechanically, what do you think about him? Because, you know, he is a shorter quarterback. And what you realize in his highlight film, some of his best throws, quote unquote, are throws that I talked about yesterday were, were high. You know, he's thrown to his receivers who have to go either to their face or above their face to catch the pass. So, I mean, we're talking about really good hands of his receivers because he doesn't really put the ball on the money and he doesn't really, nine times out of ten, play a defense that's going to pressure him like other conferences were going to do. Yeah, I just think everybody gets caught up with the comparisons because of height-wise. I think that's one of the bad things and great things about sports is that we have the basic comparison. Like, everybody just wants to compare him to every good short quarterback. Oh, he can be Russell Wilson. He can be Drew Brees. Those guys are special in their own way. I don't think he's the past Drew Brees. He's not the athlete Russell Wilson is. So you keep trying to compare people's game and make them out to be something just because of their height-wise. Those guys are special. Not saying he's not a talented guy or anything, but you have to just look at the film and see his game. I think he can throw. I don't think he just has a super arm or just super uh, talented with his pass and all that. He's very good, but it's just not super, in my opinion. I don't see transcendent number one pick type of arm talent. And it just was, I felt like it was just, they was trying to make a splash. Like I said, it was kind of a, not saying a reason, I saying he's a good football player, but I still think you could have got him at four. You could have forced everybody's hand. But he keeps getting compared to these other short quarterbacks, which is unfair to them, unfair to him, let him be him and play his game. You can't expect this guy to be Drew Brees or Russell Wilson. Those are two different type of quarterbacks, even though they got all in the same height-wise. Height yeah, you know, and, and so like you said, you don't like to see the height of it all, but it, but where he's passing the ball, he is throwing the ball high. I mean, do you see that when you watch that he's he's throwing the ball? He's not putting it really on the numbers. He's throwing it up in the air. So, I mean, I think we have to, when we talk about how good people think Baker, Baker Mayfield is, we have to look at the fact that his receivers were pretty damn good to go out there and get the ball as well. Yeah, and even the routes they are running in those spread offense, you think about now, how many great route runners are there in the Big 12 as receivers? Most of their routes are flies and big splash plays. They're not running intermediate check down routes. When you get to see the precision of his passing, most of his big plays are just fly routes or deep posts and things like that. So you don't really get to see how great of a pass that he really is. Like you said, some of his passes are high. Maybe that be due to his height or other, other factors. You know, like guys, it's hard to see over a bunch of guys that's six five when you're six foot. Not saying it can't be done. Like I saw the quarterback thing with him and Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson said he threw through lanes, so you have to be able to execute lanes and see how he does understand it, which is also different for a lot of big twelve quarterbacks. They're usually out of the gun, so I think it's going to be a little tough for him to throw over those guys. Come from understanding only being six foot. That coming from Eric Kroom, former Syracuse and NFL defensive lineman, discussing the NFL draft and at this point discussing Baker Mayfield. Uh, Eric, were there any quarterbacks that impressed you before the draft, going into the draft? I mean, who who were your – there were five guys drafted in the first round, and of the Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, and Sam Darnold, who was the one that maybe impressed you the most? really like Rosen and Lamar Jackson over the other three. I I just like Josh uh Josh Rosen's whole demeanor as a passer. He has a, a good good arm, got good composure, he has some health issues though and a lot of a lot of teams are real by his personality. I kinda like it because he's being honest, he's not faking something just to get drafted. That's how he really feels. That's fine. I'd rather you be 
a straight-up quarterback and a straight-up person about how you really feel. So I can get access to know you, and he likes to be challenged. What great athlete doesn't like to be challenged? But I love Lamar Jackson's game because he's so dynamic with the ball in his hands. You never know what you're going to get. Things happen when there's nothing available, which is so hard to game plan for. So those two guys are really like the two guys that stands out to me out of the first-round quarterbacks. So when you when you say like Josh Rosen and, and Lamar Jackson, you said you like the attitude of, of Josh Rosen, who said, you know, nine there were nine mistakes before me, and then he changed that a little bit, and he said, well, let me just say there was three state mistakes before me because there was three quarterbacks that were taken before I was taken. So you know he makes comments like that, which obviously you know shows that he's hungry and he thinks he's better, and like I said, it shows it shows some confidence. But it also can come across kind of like a jerk and, you know, and kind of disrespectful. So how do you look at him? Because he's had kind of an interesting, you know, some things that he said, there's some things that he's done, putting a hot tub in, in his, I don't know if you've ever had any teammates put a hot tub in their dorm room at Syracuse, but there's, there's these things about Josh Rosen that people want to bring up. Does any of that bother you? Is there any character parts of Josh Rosen that bother you at all? bother me as much because I think he's slightly arrogant but what quarterback is arrogant and I'm a, just a me as pure as a football player I like people who feel like they're the best player on the field because when I get on the field I think I'm the best player I want 10 other guys that feel like they're the best player on the field because it just gives you that order and that aura and that confidence but sometimes it can come off as a little jerkish and bullheaded the way he says things and the way he carries himself it's, it's, his arrogance transfers off the field where a lot of people run away and they say how intelligent he is. He likes to be challenged, but I feel like you can challenge yourself internally without having to have somebody motivate you to keep getting the best out of you. But it doesn't bother me as much as some people because I just love the aura that people think you're the best. Like, which great player doesn't think everybody's picked before them was a mistake? That's true. That's true. You know, I, I think I think it's a lot of people maybe don't say it, so maybe that's something that they're looking at with that, but that they don't necessarily say it. But, you know, in his case – he doesn't mind telling you, you know, I think that there was a bunch of mistakes. Like I said, I can appreciate, you know, him wanting to get out there and get after it. I think that it's maybe keep it to yourself and go out and, and fight and show me on the field why you're the best quarterback that I'm going to see. That's kind of how I look at it. But I can respect the fact that he thinks he's good and and, why, and who doesn't think that they're good when they're obviously you know, I mean, you're, you're trying to be an NFL quarterback. If you don't think you're that great and you don't think you can lead a team, you shouldn't be playing football. So there's there's two sides of this coin, but another thing that was brought up with Josh Rosen was that, oh, you know, he's rich and, and does he need the money and this, that, and, you know, his family, this, his family, that. That was something that really, really bothered me because I don't know what, I don't know what your parents' money has to do with you and your ability to play a sport or my ability to be a broadcaster or whatever that may be. So I took a lot of offense to the fact that people wanted to make something out of him having money with his parents and that his family has money. What did you think about all that? I think it's really irrelevant. Sometimes it makes a difference because some people don't have that same hunger when you come from a disadvantaged background. It makes you work a little harder because you know what you have to go back to. But sometimes it's irrelevant. So people who come from money that have been great football players and players who was kids of former NFL athletes and former NFL greats and every sport is both ends of the spectrum. That doesn't dictate how you're playing. dictate how good you're going to be because that can just drive you more. You got everything accessible. That might have made you even better because you had things accessible to you when you were 
have to work on your game and sometimes I have to worry about your finances and it works the other end sometimes you get comfortable because you know you have something to go back to but I just really think it's irrelevant if you can play ball you can play ball I think we go too much in depth at what people got going in their personal lives no, and I, and I agree with that. Like I said, it, it really bothered me that that was a, that that was a conversation about this quarterback. Is how much money does his parents make? Well, does that affect this? Well, does it, I, and that, to me, that's that's inconsequential. That doesn't matter what his family made, what his family's done. It, it, that doesn't make any sense. So for me, I wasn't I wasn't a fan of that. But you know, stories are going to come out. And with that being said, with Josh Allen. Eric, stories came out, you know, three days before the draft. Some people say that the Bills leaked the story because they wanted him to fall. So, you know, some people say it's this, that, and the other thing. Somebody was trying to sabotage him. Who knows? But the fact that Josh Allen made racist comments growing up. Now, I said to some people that said to me, well, you know, it's when he was young. Who cares? And I said, it matters. Okay. It doesn't matter whether you're 15, 40, 80. If you're racist, prejudiced, sexist, that's a problem. It needs to be fixed. You need to know that it's wrong, and you need to change your ways. Now, could he have changed his ways? Absolutely. Could it be that, oh, now I got caught, and now I have to say something about it? Absolutely. But for me, for a, for the leader of your team, that's huge. For anybody in your locker room or anybody in society, that's huge. That I take offense to the fact that Josh Allen said this, and it's like, ah, you know, you know, being young and stupid. It's like, but that's how you feel. And it got caught, and now because it was out there and people could read it, you have to say something about it. You know, if Paula Dean was never caught saying this, that, and the other thing, she wouldn't apologize necessarily. And and I just, I don't know, this that it bothered me that the Josh Allen we talk about his mechanics and his abilities and this, that, and the other thing. But what bothers me is is looking at the fact that, you know, he made these comments and and that's obviously a problem. And when you walk into a locker room, that could be an issue. Yeah, I totally agree with you because, like you said, it doesn't matter how old you are. We know what's morally right and what's wrong from a very young age. It's not like it's something new. You know what, what to do and not to do. That's like if someone touch someone in the wrong way when you're 12. That doesn't take it away because you were 12. You knew it was morally right and was wrong. And you caused a division in the locker room because God's kind of looking at you going like, is this how you still feel or not? Even though you can show something different, you said this and then try to make it. The thing that rubbed me the wrong way was excuses talking about how their friends used to switch phones and play games like that. Like saying racist things is not a game to play with people or any of any race. It's just not acceptable at all. So it just rubbed me kind of the wrong way and how it comes out. And, and everybody want to be apologetic. Like you said, he wouldn't apologize. He never got caught. So, Well, and, and that's the thing. And I, and I got to ask you, I mean, as as someone who was inside of a locker room in the NFL, you know, you, you had an opportunity to be around the Packers and the Jaguars and the Panthers. And obviously you spent time at Syracuse. If somebody in your locker room was racist and you found out that they were, be it a video that one one of the guys caught on tape, be it you know something on social media, whatever it may be, you know, let's say it's ten o'clock at night and you're on Facebook and something shows up in your timeline and somebody somebody shares it with you and says, "Isn't this your boy? Isn't this your teammate?" And you see a bunch of racial slurs. How would you respond to it? Oh, it would definitely rub me the wrong way. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago at school it was one of the uh, I forgot what sports he 
played, but we knew her. The girl Hannah Strong, when she said the racist comments and it spread like wildfire on Twitter to one of our teammates, and she called, uh, I believe it was Julian Wiggum out of the name, uh, the N-word and all that. And they uh, brought it up years later, and she's trying to get a job and everything. And we knew her, and it was like, I can't be around somebody who feels that way, because what are you capable of? You've been feeling this way the whole time. It's not nothing new for you just to say that in an outbreak like if you get into it and you just outbreak and say something racially, I feel like that's how you've been feeling for a long time. But like, I have people like Robert Welch is a great friend. He would never cross that line, never do anything like that. Like, you know, and I wouldn't cross that line with him saying racist things. And it just would run me totally wrong way in the locker room because I have to look at you different because now I don't know what you're capable of. You've been feeling like this for a long time. This is not nothing new. Uh, my perception would be, how do you want me to go to battle for you when you have derogatory comments about, our race, which really doesn't matter, you should judge people off their character anyway. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing is, you know, it, I, I don't understand why it happens in society because it should have never happened in the first place. But you know, when it's out there, when it's your when it's your quarterback, when it's your guy, I, I mean, that's to me, it, it's wrong if it's anybody. And then that's supposed to be the leader of your locker room. In most cases, that's supposed to be, you know, the the voice of reason, the person that you look to outside of the head coach. That's the guy that's that's there and speaking with you. If Ryan Nassib was like, yeah, I hate black people. I mean, how how do you suit up for Syracuse and go out that way in that moment? Yeah, it just changed the whole dynamic of the team. So it's like, and the majority of the athletes in the NFL are African American. these black guys to catch passes and block for you on that. But you can say derogatory things about them. It's just not a good look. You can't get people to want to go to bat for you. And as a quarterback, you're the leader of the team. People will be willing to run through walls for you. Like, that's how much I put their hands on the quarterback in the locker room. It's not going to happen when you're that guy because they know you're going to take us as far as – we're only going to go as far as you can take us. So the quarterback is the head honcho. He's the most important person on the team. So for you to make comments like that – it's going to be hard for people to respect you rally around you because they don't know how you feel or how you think. And and one of the things, you know, with this, uh, with this, Eric, is, you know, what would you suggest that is done here? You know, in your opinion, if if you're the team, if, if you're the Buffalo Bills, what would you suggest they do with Josh Allen when he steps into the locker room for the first time? I just think they need to sit him down and, have a, sit him down first with management. They have a players only meeting. It let him know, get to let people know his character and everything. He owes. I feel like he owes them positive. He hasn't done anything because how can you come in even as a rookie and try to command respect when you says, "Oh, I was in high school and all that." Like I said, you know when you're morally wrong. It's not you learn at a very young age. It's not nothing new. You knew what to say and not to say. So it's just it's just a very touchy topic of being. Especially coming from a quarterback, you're the leader. How I'm supposed to follow you when you would say things about like that? So it's just very different. I don't know how they're going to handle it. It's really kind of hard to put a sense of what they should do. But I feel like he needs to have a meeting with management and the players only meeting with his team to let him know the situation and try to fill him in on what he was thinking at that moment. That coming from Eric Kroom, former Syracuse and NFL alum on the defensive line. Eric, before we take a step aside, you mentioned Lamar Jackson and the fact that, you know, of, of the five quarterbacks, that was one of the guys that, that impressed you and stood out to you. The Baltimore Ravens came back into the first round. They had already drafted in the first round, drafted Hayden Hurst, a tight end. They haven't had a tight end in the last 
three years plus, arguably, that was going to be a healthy guy and a guy that they could lean on out there. I mean, pretty much since Todd Heap, which has gone back even farther, they haven't had a really good tight end that's going to be the guy that can dominate for the Baltimore Ravens and, and you know, give them some hay and help them out, especially when, when they're trying to move the ball down the field and over the middle in the end zone and whatnot. So you get Hayden Hurst. And then Philadelphia's 32nd. Everybody's saying they're going to take a running back, which I thought would be insane because they already have Corey Clement, who is the undrafted rookie out of Wisconsin, who did phenomenal inside of the Super Bowl. And then you, as a rookie, as an undrafted rookie, mind you. And then outside of that, you know, you have Jay Ajayi. So for me, I didn't think Philadelphia needed to take a running back or even necessarily be in the first round. They obviously agreed, traded with Baltimore. Baltimore comes in, and with the 32nd and final pick of the first round, they draft Lamar Jackson, making a statement on their future as a franchise, potentially. What did you think about Baltimore's decision to come back into the first round and take Lamar Jackson? I think it was a good pick. You got a guy you can mold and grow and develop under a Super Bowl winning quarterback and Joe Flacco is getting a little older, and they might want to get from under the I think it was a good pick. And like I said, I love dynamic quarterbacks, and their ownership has a history of making great picks. And he does a great job of doing, of doing his job. So I really love the pick. And this is, I feel like it's a good fit to get more weapons around him, get a couple receivers, and do things like that. I just like the fit for him. And he's in a conference where he's playing against other quarterbacks. So I think it's going to bring the higher level up. Out of him, seeing Baker Mayfield go number one, he might hold that as a grudge, playing against him every year. Got Big Ben and Andy Dalton, so now he has to raise his game to compete. So I'm interested to see how that works out for him. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 when we look at Lamar Jackson and and what he's capable of, you know, I, I think I think there's there's something to be said about first and foremost having covered him his collegiate career and. You know, just spoken with Bobby Petrino, his head coach, about him and, and interviewed him in his time while he was at Louisville. So he's not a stranger to me by any stretch of the imagination. And watching him firsthand play Syracuse every year, we know what he's capable of and the things that he can do. I mean, this is a Heisman Trophy winner who is a very, 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 in my opinion, versatile and, and strong athlete. You know, they asked him what he was going to do in Baltimore, and he said, I'm bringing a Super Bowl to Baltimore. And he looked in the camera, and he was like, that's it. I'm bringing a Super Bowl. There's no other discussion. That's what we're doing. We're not maybe going to do it. That's what we're going to do. I mean, this guy is a competitor. He's hungry. He's got a chip on his shoulder, I'm sure, because he saw four quarterbacks go ahead of him and heard everybody talk about his mechanics and should he be a quarterback in the NFL and blah, blah, blah throughout the weeks leading up to the draft. He didn't hear it from me because – I got asked that question. Do you think he's a quarterback? I said, uh, yeah, hell yeah. Of course he's a quarterback. So as we move forward with this, I got to ask you this question. I'm going to set you up a little bit here with my thoughts to see how you would respond to this. So we're looking at Lamar Jackson getting drafted to Baltimore and Hayden Hurst gets drafted to Baltimore this year. Mark Andrews, a backup tight end potentially, or the starter, depends on what him and Hurst do. He gets drafted to Baltimore. Baltimore changes pretty much their entire receiving core with bringing in Michael Crabtree from Oakland, John Brown from Arizona, Willie Sneed from New Orleans. Alex Collins did eventually become kind of the starter, but this will be his first season to start as the starter potentially in the backfield. So there's a lot of change on the offense. 
Is this the time that you change with all these new personnel coming in, with all of these people going to be learning an offense in Baltimore for the first time? Do you take advantage of everybody learning something new and change immediately to Lamar Jackson, or do you stay with Joe Flacco? I think you stay with Joe Flacco for this year. Especially, he's on the contract with that big contract. You don't have a guy making over $20 million on the bench. And like you said, I think he still needs a little bit of development as well. But I can see where you can put that together since everybody's coming and learning a new offense. You might as well implement the whole system that revolves around him. But if you still feel that Joe Flacco is your starter, you should wait until you're ready to hand the keys over to Lamar Jackson. Now, if you want to hand the keys on now, you can implement the whole system based around his skill set. And, I mean, I have looked at this and I've said, okay, Joe Flacco, he's been there for a while, but five out of the last six years, no playoffs. The only time they made the playoffs since winning the Super Bowl in 2012, they lost their first game, which it was a divisional round game. So, and, and, and obviously, he has lost wide receivers and running backs, and he's lost at times. He's gone down to his fourth or fifth string receiver and running back in the same season a couple seasons ago. But I look at the situation and say – you got everybody coming in at the same time. They can all learn the same thing at the same time. Do you really want to teach them a Joe Flacco stationary quarterback offense and then have to reteach every, have to unteach and teach new for Lamar Jackson? Or do you try and, and trade Joe Flacco away to somebody like Denver, who maybe is not sold on Case Keenum 100%, and move to Lamar Jackson already? I, I look at it from the, from the, from the coaching side of, I'm going to bring in all these new draft picks and all these veterans that are coming here for the first time, and i got to teach them all how to play with Joe. Then next year, I'm going to teach them all how to play with Lamar. Why not just teach them all the same thing, and I only got to teach them one thing one time, and then we move forward from here. So, I mean, I look at it from that perspective on the devil's advocate, so to speak, other side of it. Yeah, that's why that professional football players, you adjust to the element. Like, those guys are pros. They can learn the playbook and adjust their game to whatever you need them to do, especially receiver. The routes are going to be the same in every offense for real. It's probably just learning more concepts than anything. So the, the, the route tree is not going to change from whatever routes you put in. I mean, for whatever offense you put in, the routes are going to be the same. So I just think you keep it the same until you're ready to hand it over the keys. Now, if you're ready to hand over the keys, you might as well put your whole system in. So it's very interesting to see what they're going to do. And it's going to be hard for them to trade Joe Flacco with that big contract. Like you said, Denver is an option. They're going to give him 20. If they're going to trade for him and pay Case Keenum $10 million, why won't they just give Kirk Cousins the money he was asking for? They were willing to do all this. Well, I mean, that's and, and that's I – and mean, when you look at this, like you said, there's so many different arguments that you can have to this. But if John Harbaugh is almost fired last year and this is Ozzie's last go-around, do they want to attach themselves to a horse – that could end up in the firing of John Harbaugh, or does John want to try something different before he leaves? You know, that's that. I mean, there's a lot of elements to this because Lamar, I know a lot of people say, how can you take out Joe Flacco? That makes no sense. But at the same time, if you know you're going to change and you know you're going to have a new install, why not say Hayden, Mark, John, Willie, let's all do this now, Michael Crabtree, let's all do this now. Let's figure this out now. Let's let's change Baltimore now because in the last six years, we haven't looked like the Baltimore Ravens and it's time to look like the Baltimore Ravens. I, if you're Baltimore and somebody calls you up and says, hey, you just drafted Lamar Jackson, I'm interested in paying 
for Joe Flacco. Do you entertain that? Yeah, they're interested for paying him because you can get up out of the, you can get out the contract without having to even cut him and still be have dead cat money. So there is there is the opportunity for that. I understand people wanting to have a changing of the guard, but at the same time, I think Lamar. It makes sense for everybody to learn it at the same time, the same way. With that being said, irregardless of where people end on the spectrum here that we discussed, Lamar Jackson, how good of a pro quarterback do you think he could be? I think he could be a real good quarterback. I just think you have to tailor the offense around to his skill set. There'd be a lot of problems with the mobile guy. They don't have an offensive mind that's tailored an offense around them to fit what they best do. So I think if he gets the right coordinators and coaching plays that wouldn't invest in him and put the offense around him because we've seen he can make plays and make people better. Louisville is not a, a Florida school or a, a Texas school where you're going to get the best top-notch talent. They get good talent, but it's not just superior talent as a, five, a lot of five-star recruits, so he made a lot of those guys better. And he had a better season last year than his Heisman season. People don't know. They just didn't win as many games. So he continues to keep getting better. His completion percentage went up. And everything, all these things went up year year to year. So he's not going to do nothing but continue to get better. Yeah, you know, and, and he's obviously when people say that he should switch, you know, that he should not be a quarterback. I mean, how do you, how do you look at something like that? Because I think he's, I mean, it's a versatile guy. And and some, you know, some people might say, oh, he's like Tim Tebow because they asked him to switch positions. But he his mechanics, his ability, what he could do, he's very different. He's extremely different than Tim Tebow. I think that this man could be an NFL quarterback for potentially a long time. I mean, I there's a lot of talent with Lamar Jackson. So when you hear people say, ah, you know, he should just be a wide receiver, how do you respond to that? It's silly to me. A guy who won the Heisman Trophy was a Heisman finalist last year. Yeah, improved his passing stats. Just has to be a receiver because he's fast. That's why I applaud him not running the 40-yard dash because – he made a stand. I'm going to play quarterback. Somebody's got to give me a shot at quarterback. He's just trying to switch my switch my position. He's probably been playing quarterback his whole life, so it's unfair to him just to say because he's a talented runner. Oh, he needs to play receiver. We don't even know if he can catch or not. You just want to switch somebody, change their position. Something they've been doing the last 15 years, and you didn't even give him a chance. It'd be different if they gave him a chance and it didn't work out. I say, okay, let's switch the receiver. They didn't even give him a chance first. No, and that's the thing, is to give him an opportunity and let him go out there and show what he is capable of doing. We're going to take a step aside here for a fast break. When we come back, I'm going to ask Eric something that was asked to me by Ross Turetsky yesterday when he was on the show. He said, if you had to put all of your money on the table right now and the five quarterbacks chosen in the NFL in order in the first round, in order, who would you put who would you feel safest putting your money on at number one? All the way to number five. I gave you all my five. We're going to get Eric's in just a moment after this fast break. This is a wake-up call fast break. This is Jimmer Sikowski, owner-operator of Chick-fil-A Cicero, 7916 Brewerton Road in Cicero, right in front of the Home Depot. I had a deep feeling that God wanted me to do something bigger with my life and to help people, help others. I kept putting Chick-fil-A in my life, and I realized as I was going through the franchise selection process that uh, positively impacting the lives of others was really core to what we do here at Chick-fil-A. First of all, it starts with the food. The food is brought in fresh daily, and we bring in local produce. We prepare to order in the kitchen. We hand bread our chicken. We hand spin our milkshakes. It's 
it's great food. It doesn't taste like fast food. I, I think the second thing is is the way people feel when they come in a Chick-fil-A restaurant. It's different. We, we try to treat people with intentional kindness here, which is very different and deeper than good customer service. And so you know, I think it feels remarkable for most people to come in a Chick-fil-A restaurant. And then lastly, the impact that we try to have in the community is very different. It's a big part of the expectation of every operator of a Chick-fil-A restaurant is that they're actively engaged in their community, they're a leader in the community, and they're, they're making a difference. When they realize that what we're striving to do is to shine a little light in their life, that's a very, very different experience uh, than you will have in any other quick service restaurant. And it's that remarkable experience that I think people will emotionally connect with. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalware, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Formalware. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice when buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing, with Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your event, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing, proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice when buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Proud to be here with you and proud to be on the line with Eric Kroom, former Syracuse and NFL alum on the defensive line. As a defensive lineman, he knows all about attacking the quarterback, and it's time to attack this quarterback discussion I was asked yesterday by Ross Turetsky when he came on the show to put my money on somebody. If you had to put your money down on a quarterback today of the five chosen in the 2018 NFL Draft's first round, who would you put your money on that you feel safest with, number one, 
all the way to number five. My list was number one, Lamar Jackson, number two, Josh Allen, number three, Josh Rosen, number four, Sam Darnold, number five, Baker Mayfield. I sent it over to Eric for his top five. Eric, what do you got? Number one, I'm going with Lamar Jackson. I just think he's such a dynamic playmaker, even if you want to change him. I think he can always have an impact on the game, even as a rookie that can put some packages in where he's so dynamic. Number two, I'm going Josh Rosen. I just believe of his confidence and his ability from when I watched him. Number three, I'm going Sam Darnold. He'd probably been a little higher if he didn't turn the ball over so much in college. Number four, I'm going Baker Mayfield because the talent around him and I like his confidence as well. And number five, I'll go Josh Allen just because I'm just a, a bigger, big person on consistency, and he was very inconsistent in his time in Wyoming when you look at his numbers. And when you look at this, and like you said, you know, the inconsistency, I like Josh Allen's arm. I like the passes that he made. I like his ability to run and do some things. I also like the fact that these quarterbacks that come from smaller schools and conferences that people don't necessarily pay attention to, that there's some really awesome things that can come out of that. So I like Josh Allen a little bit more. You don't like his inconsistency. The Josh Rosen factor, okay? He's going to have Larry Fitzgerald. Sam Bradford, we know, is the starting quarterback, but he always gets injured and yada, yada, yada. So we probably won't see him the whole season, unfortunately. And I hope, you know, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that Sam Bradford is healthy the entire season because I'm sick and tired of seeing him get hurt. But when we look at, when we look at it, we look at the reality of it all, okay? And we look at following the bouncing ball, so to speak. Josh Rosen's going to get an opportunity at some point in Arizona this season. He's going to have Larry Fitzgerald. He has Christian Kirk, who they drafted right after him to Arizona to be, you know, the heir apparent pretty much and learn under Larry Fitzgerald. What do you think about Josh Rosen in Arizona? He's going to stay on the West Coast. He went to school at UCLA. This is a guy who has found ways to come back in games. He's, you know, this this guy's been down by multiple touchdowns and has made it a 40-something, a 40-something game at the end of regulation. What do you like about Josh Rosen? I know we've talked about him a little bit, but what do you think about him staying on the West Coast? He's going to be in the state that he played multiple times. He played Arizona and Arizona State when he was at UCLA. So this is kind of familiar digs for him, even though it's not California. Josh Rosen kind of has a nice setup, and he's going to have one of the greatest receivers health-wise and consistency that the NFL's ever seen in Larry Fitzgerald. I think it's a great fit for him. I like, I love Coach Wilkes, how he coaches. He was uh, down in Carolina. I was in Carolina. He's a very straightforward guy, inspirational. He gets you going, and he's not going to sugarcoat anything. So I think that's a great coach for him. And they have a great locker room full of veterans, which I think is great also. He doesn't have to come up with a bunch of young guys. Even though sometimes it's good to grow together, he has a lot of veteran personalities like Larry Fitzgerald. You got Patrick Peterson on the other side. Guys who play at the highest level, it can get in the NFL of being all pro and pro bowlers. So he has a great group of veterans where he can come in and learn, learn how to be a pro and just learn to become a leader the right way. You know, turn that confidence into being able to galvanize the troops in the locker room. So I think it's a good fit for him. We look at Sam Darnold. Okay, now I want to I want to bring up the roster here for, for Sam Darnold and what he has to work with as he goes to the New York Jets because the New York Jets have really no option. I mean, McCown's done some good things and he's been he's he's managed games and outside of that, they bring in Teddy Bridgewater who hasn't really played 
on the field in a game for the better part of two years. So you have Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater, Bryce Petty and Christian Hackenberg. Well, they don't really like Bryce Petty, and they drafted Christian Hackenberg, but the Jets seem to have hated Christian Hackenberg more than anybody else in the NFL and have never once given him a chance. I can't imagine that he makes the team, let alone makes the practice squad, because now they have McCown, Bridgewater, and Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's going to have these weapons. Isaiah Crowell, who underperformed in Cleveland. Belial Powell, who consistently underperforms in New York. Thomas Rawls, who is a good running back from Central Michigan, who can perform and be your number one guy, but is always injured. Elijah McGuire, who was a rookie last year, drafted in the sixth round, who did a couple good things here and there. And then in the wide receiver core, they have a nice little diamond in the rough, Robbie Anderson. They have Jermaine Curse, who came over from Seattle last year. They bring in Terrell Pryor, who is a nice nice kind of slash type of player who could do a bunch of different things. Our Darius Stewart, who was drafted in the third round from Alabama, still left to see what he can do. Quincy Anunwa, who stepped it up before he got hurt. And they also have Andre Roberts, who is a free agent from Atlanta, who also play, you know, who spent some time, I believe, in Arizona as well. So they've built some depth in their receiver core. Their running backs, I would say Thomas Rawls is my guy, and maybe Elijah McGuire if they're healthy. But what do you think about what Sam Darnold has around him for the Jets? Uh, I think he could use a little bit more, but you never know how those guys are going to jail. Maybe they develop a good chemistry where they work for each other. I like Robbie Anderson's game a lot. I think he's uh, a tall, fast receiver, you know. And like you said, they have some good pieces, but he doesn't have one go-to guy that just sticks out for me. Like, oh, that's the guy when everything breaks down, he can get him the ball. So it's interesting to see, especially being in New York, where they're going to be tough on him. So hopefully they give him some more weapons and some more pieces, but it's going to be interesting to see how he develops and gets his game, keep progressing in the right way with those guys. Do you think that it's going to be long before Sam Darnold becomes the starter there? Uh, I don't think so because when you draft a guy, that, when you draft these quarterbacks that high, you're anticipating them starting. When you draft a guy number three for you, want to keep sitting on the bench. I'm a proponent. If you draft a guy that high, put him out there and play. Sitting and learning is still different from playing. It'd be different. They were sitting behind like Hall of Fame guys, like Aaron Rodgers sitting behind Brett Favre. That's different. He's a Hall of Famer, but. If you're sitting the guy, the guy that's just a marginal starter or a guy you don't believe in, I might think you might just throw Darnold in from day one. Sam Darnold, this is another chance that the Jets are taking on drafting a USC quarterback. They did it with Mark Sanchez, which began with back-to-back trips to the AFC Championship and ended with a butt fumble. Do you think that Sam Darnold's going to be better than that? Oh, good. <laughs> I wouldn't even put that that type of misery on Sam Darnold. And I don't think you can get worse than that. I think you can get worse than that. That was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Have you ever been on a team where someone has butt fumbled? Never. I've never seen that in my life to the end. And that, I mean, that's a, it's just, it's crazy to me to see something like that. But, you know, it happens. Moments happen like that, and things happen. I, you know, the thing that's really sad is that. Mark Sanchez really did a lot in his first two years, but it was everything after that. And now, I mean, for goodness sakes, the man is a backup to a backup, and he's suspended for the beginning of the season because he broke the performance enhancing or you know, he broke the uh, drug policy of the NFL, so the substance policy. So, you know, it's it's just kind of a 
It's kind of like an E true Hollywood story at this point, but Sam Darnold's the jets as they, I mean, they, it looks like they have a pretty nice receiving core, but what do you think about the, I mean, the jets have, have been, have been in misery and disarray for years you know, do you see them getting out of that anytime soon, or does does Sam Darnold kind of have to pack it in for the long ride? Uh, it depends on how Sam Darnold plays. You have a a franchise quarterback that can lead and produce on a consistent basis. It, it makes average players better, and you can build around that. Like just if you have a great starting quarterback without the best talent, you can do some different things. I just think it's going to be hard, especially. In a division with the Patriots, then if uh, Josh Allen pans out for the Bills, that's the only good thing. I don't think that's a super tough division, but let's see, get more talent and where he's playing that, it's going to be the hardest thing for me. You can't really keep losing to New York City. Those guys will be on you, especially if the Giants get back to where they were. So it's really going to be hard to say one team is doing good and see the other one stinks. So he's really going to have to play up and try to get everything going for that franchise. Speaking here with former Syracuse and NFL alum Eric Kroom on the defensive line here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt, the direct live feed. Speaking of New York, and you just brought up the Giants, they decide to take Saquon Barkley. They don't take a quarterback, and Eli Manning, I'm thinking, has one to two seasons. I'm looking at maybe two max left that he's going to be in the NFL. They drafted Davis Webb last year. They don't seem to really like him because they, even when they broke the streak by Eli Manning, which was icing on the cake for getting some people fired like Ben McAdoo, but when they make that decision, they put in Geno Smith. They didn't put in Davis Webb. What do you think about this? Is there an heir apparent for the Giants? Is Davis Webb the guy or is this another situation like Christian Hackenberg in New York where you kind of just shake your head and say, why the hell did you even draft the guy? Uh, I don't know. I don't. It's really a hard one to decide because what if Eli has a bounce back year? It kind of all depends on how Eli plays this year. So I'm very interested to see how he plays, especially with a, a high count running back like Saquon Barkley. Maybe that can be the missing key in bringing a guy down to Stewart to bolster your running game. If they can get the running game going, they could change everything up. And then they lost their best playmaker at the beginning of the season to an injury, so that affects the whole team. They had so many injuries at the wide right receiver, that it was kind of hard to see them gel and get better as one. And I like Ingram at the tight end, so Eli might have a bounce back year. I'm looking forward to them having a decent year. I don't just giving up on a guy who's won two Super Bowls. Yeah, and and the thing is, you know, it's going to be what he can do from here and what he's going to do with, obviously, new leadership in New York and what this can become. Eli Manning, a two-time Super Bowl champion, the only person to knock down the big bad wolf, except for Philadelphia recently here with the New England Patriots. Are the New England Patriots becoming the 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 new version of the old Buffalo Bills of the 90s where the NFC East just beats the hell out of you? The Giants beat them twice in the Super Bowl. The Eagles beat them once. And with the Buffalo Bills, they lost to the Cowboys. They lost to the Skins. They lost to the... I mean, they, they got hammered. The Bills lost four Super Bowls in the 90s to the NFC East. The Patriots in the 21st century have lost three Super Bowls to the NFC East. So are they the new Bills in in some weird type of angle of looking at things? I don't say so because they won, actually won Super Bowls. So <laughs> they actually won, so I can't just do that. But 
it's a game of matchups. Those guys match up good against the Patriots because they they always had great pass rush. That's how you beat Tom Brady. The Giants team had great pass rushes, and the Eagles had one of the best D-lines in the league last year. Like, Brandon Graham made the player of the game from the D-line position, so that's how you get to the Patriots. I don't care how great you are as a quarterback. If you're getting constant pressure, if you keep getting pressure and not being able to throw from your spot, having to step up, and they can knock you off your spot, the D-line, that's always tell us, get the quarterback off the spot. So if you allow a quarterback to sit on that spot and pick you apart, it's going to be hard to beat him. And Tom Brady had a hell of a game. He had five over 500 yards. It's just they ran into a good matchup where the D-line made a play at the end of the game. It's all about a couple of splash plays. If you break every football game down, it's always those couple of splash plays and turnovers. You can point to every splash, couple of splash plays of each game you watch. That's coming from Eric Kroom once again of Syracuse and the NFL. Eric, to, to look at some other things that, that had happened in this in this NFL draft you know, the, it's one of the things that we haven't discussed yet, and you being on the defensive line, is Bradley Chubb. You know, Bradley Chubb is somebody that I covered when he obviously played inside of the ACC, and I cover all teams inside of the ACC and Notre Dame, and, and spent time interviewing Bradley Chubb, spent time obviously watching NC State. He decided to come back this past season to be with the Wolfpack. He felt like it was the right thing to do. He said, and I quote, I can't doubt God. And he felt like God told him, come back and do it again. So Bradley Chubb does it, and it works out. He ends up getting drafted fifth overall. The Broncos show that, at least in this moment, from what I'm taking from it, they believe in Case Keenum. And they've decided that that is their guy. The Broncos take Bradley Chubb, defensive end out of NC State. He's the first defensive lineman chosen. He's a top five guy. I think he should have went four to the Browns. I think, you know, he could have arguably, if the Browns had taken Saquon, gone number two to the Giants. The Jets were going to take a quarterback, in my opinion, no matter what. But what do you think about Bradley Chubb from NC State? Oh, I like his game. I just think he's, like, solid. Like, that's the best word to describe. Like, he's solid across the board. It's not like I don't see just super elite at any one area, but he's so solid across the board. I don't really find no weaknesses in this game when I watch him. He's consistent. He plays the run. He's just not a pass rush. He plays the run, which I like because a lot of pass rush is not good against the run. You can get to the pass. He's strong. He's physical at the point of attack. I really like his game. I like what Denver, Denver deal with that. You match, get a pass, get another defense in to match up with Von Miller. That's what they made their money at, having good pass rush and good guys in secondary. So I really like that pick. And when you see Bradley Chubb and, and him have this opportunity to go to Denver, I mean, Denver, when they had won the Super Bowl, they did it leaning on their defense a few years ago. They lost guys like, I know he's on the interior part, but they lost guys like Malik Jackson, who has almost guided Jacksonville to a Super Bowl and could do it this year, potentially. So to bolster up this defensive line and try and make it something again, what do you think about the decision by Denver to go to the line as opposed to anywhere else? Oh, it's a great decision. Like you said, when they was killing things on defense, they had Malik Jackson and Derek Wolf on the inside with Von Miller and Demarcus Ware on the outside. So you get that push, and especially they were playing that 3 4, that 5 technique. That was what was really big. But then get that push in the inside so your outside guys can do their thing and stay outside and rush. So I really like it. And I always say you can never have enough pass rush. Look at Philadelphia. Look at Philly. They went eight deep on the D line. You can keep guys fresh and rush. At a max energy, which was great to watch. I just love seeing good D-line play, so I'm excited to see how it does with Denver and those good schemes. And when you when you look at kind of going forward from here before we take another step aside, 
inside of the first round in those first few picks, you know, surprises outside of what we've discussed already. I guess I guess we could go to number four with the Browns since we haven't discussed it. They take a corner. Now, I said that the safest thing for the Browns to do in this draft was to take Saquon Barkley, arguably the best player in the draft, at number one at running back. And then at number four, if you need to take a quarterback, obviously there's going to be five. And two of them maximum are going to be chosen, which means three are available. So if Darnold goes and Baker Makerfield goes and the Joshes are available, Lamar's available. If Baker goes and this goes and then this is available, if Josh and Josh go, then Baker's available. I mean, it, arguably the Browns were going to get Baker Mayfield at number four if they use the number one pick on Saquon Barkley. So Denzel Ward, arguably the number one cornerback in the draft out of Ohio State. But what do you think about the mentality of the Browns to take Baker Mayfield, who I think they could have gotten at four? I think that on top of that, they could have gotten a better quarterback than that. On top of that, Denzel Ward, I I didn't have going in the top 10. I thought that maybe he would be, you know, 11 or so. What did you think about the Browns saying all in on Baker Mayfield and then at number four, not going to their offensive or defensive line and going and getting a cornerback? Uh, it's different. I, I thought they would take Chubb there. Like I said, I love getting pass rushes. You would have your pass rush for the future, especially playing against uh, Pittsburgh two times a year where their money is having some good receivers in the running game. So you solidify your pass rush and your D-line, you can build around that. So I was hoping they went with D-line, but I don't think it's a bad pick in another corner if he's locked down. It just kind of little iffy because Ohio State has had these all these corners each year. So how how many years did he start? I'm not quite sure. If it was he like a two or three year starter, but they had two corners going the first round last year. So I don't know if he started a year before. So yeah, and then the thing is with Denzel, like I said, it's not that it's a bad pick. It just doesn't make any sense. Now the Colts did something exactly what I thought they were going to do, which was draft Quentin Nelson an offensive guard out of Notre Dame because uh, protecting the quarterback and and moving that ball down the field has been an issue. The Colts do that. We talked about the Bills. The Bear, So the, 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 the Broncos did what I thought they would do if the Browns were stupid, which they were. The Colts did what I thought they were going to do. The Bears did what I thought they were going to do. All exactly. Raquan Smith, linebacker out of Georgia. So what can you say to, to some of these moves? I mean, the Broncos are trying to get better on – defense again the Colts are trying to establish protection the Bears are trying to bring that middle of their defense back to prominence because nobody fears the Bears defense anymore so these aren't your quote-unquote sexy picks or attractive picks but yet these are picks that can help them out for a long time to come what do you think about them well I really like the real quick every time I was doing he just jumped off the tape and off the screen to me like he's always making plays he goes sideline to sideline I like what Chicago is trying to do. They got the uh, young pass young pass a couple years ago with Leonard Floyd. Now you get an every down linebacker, make some uh, moves in free agency. So I like the direction they're going. I like uh, what the Colts did with Quinn Nelson. And, uh, quarterback is your money, so you get a you get a good old lineman to protect. The quarterback. Uh, I like those. And then, and then as far as the Packers, the Packers did something with their first two picks. They had a, a first-round pick, and they had a second-round pick. And with these first two picks, they decided to go and help out their secondary, and they drafted in the first round at number 18 overall. They took Jair Alexander 
another guy that I'd interviewed and covered. He's out of Louisville at cor- at the cornerback position. And then in round two and overall 45th pick, they took Josh Jackson, cornerback out of Iowa, arguably two of the top five in the nation. What do you think about Green Bay? Because I love the fact that they addressed their secondary issues and they potentially have two starting corners as rookies to put their vets on blast and say, hey, guys, like these guys are coming in with an opportunity to start right away. And that coming from Eric Kroom, once again, Syracuse and NFL alum. We're going to take a step aside for a very fast, fast break. When we come back, I will speak with Eric on some other, besides Baker Mayfield and what the Browns did in general in the first round, we're get Eric's thoughts on other shocks of the first round. If he was thrown off by what Atlanta did, what Seattle did, some and, and also Jacksonville, if he had some surprises and the Patriots, We're going to talk about those four teams' first-round picks and if any of those surprised him in just a moment. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Gear up with the real deal at Dreisig Apparel. Creating what people are going to see and learn about you before they even meet you. Gear up for what you need for your team, business, or event. To look professional, look good, and feel good, outfit yourself at DreisigApparel.com. That's D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Apparel.com. The only place to gear up with the real deal. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands. With Fan Hands, the ultimate sports fan accessory, find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on FanHands.com, where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear Fan Hands. Unica Pizza Company spells family, your family, my family, their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu. We'd be here forever. So let me say this. Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say, these Utica Greens, they're the best. Utica Pizza Company. Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Proud to be here with you on May 2nd of the year 2018, hanging out with Eric Kroom, Syracuse, and NFL alum and we are discussing surprises of the first round and so we're going to start with Rashad Penny I'll give you my thoughts I don't want to ask a loaded question so I'll give my thoughts in a second here but Rashad Penny surprise or not going to the Seahawks in the first round I don't think he's going the first round but they need a running back bad so I don't think it's a bad pick 
I just think I just think it's a great running back class where you could have got a lot of guys in second or third round, but I don't really I'm not angry at the pick at all. No, and he immediately jumps to number one over Chris Carson, J.D. McKissick, C.J. Proceis, and Mike Davis. I mean, this guy is going to be, I would expect, when camp opens up for him. I mean, Chris Carson had some good moments before he got hurt, but I expect Rashad Penny to be in the two deep minimally and then potentially be the starter for Seattle, who hasn't been able to run the ball. Don't forget, they couldn't run the ball with Marshawn Lynch in Marshawn's last season there, nor did Thomas Rawls, well, he got hurt as well. And then they decided to get Eddie Lacy, who I told you over and over and over again was a mistake. And Eddie Lacy was in some books as the top 10 running back in fantasy football. And I told you he didn't even crack my top 30. Look what happens. So you got to pay attention. Some people just put rankers out there about what they've done in the past or what they think they can do, or maybe they just do it based on school. But Eddie Lacy, anybody that was watching football recently, know that he know, knows that he struggles to run the ball, and he went on to a team that struggled to run the ball in general. So how's that going to work out? When a team can't do it and he can't do it, how are they going to make it happen together miraculously? So I like the Rashad Penny pick. The pick right before that at 26 in the first round, the Falcons took Calvin Ridley. Now, they don't have Roddy White anymore. They lost Taylor Gabriel to off-season moves, so they, but they do have Julio Jones. What do you think about Calvin Ridley, who looked extremely pissed off that he was drafted 26th? I think the, uh, the rich get richer. The offense is already explosive. Now you got another guy like Ridley, which adds versatility to your offense. You can put him in the slot, then you can move your other receivers around as well. You can put him on the outside, throw Julio in the slot for some play, throw some new in the slot. So it gives you more versatility with all those weapons on the offense. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see how they maneuver it. I just think they took the best player on the board, besides the position. They had received, but I felt like they just took the best player. Sometimes it pans out well for you because you can never have enough talent. I think he's very talented. He's a good route runner with speed. So I think it's going to be a great move for them. It adds another weapon to the already go to offense. And I can agree that they, they obviously add a weapon to this and the fact that he is going to be back at Mercedes-Benz Stadium where I saw Alabama face off against FSU to start off the season in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game last year. So he already knows what his home field's going to look like and got a little vibe for it already, which is kind of something cool here. The Patriots get Sony Michelle. We talk about the rich getting richer. Well, they arguably got the second-best running back going to the team that usually wins, and if they don't win, they get to the Super Bowl. What do you think about the Patriots, who seem to make hay with finding running backs that people kind of don't think much of and push them, you know, and create them into something? Like Deion Lewis, who thinks about Deion Lewis, look at what he did, Kevin Falk, so on and so forth. But with the Patriots, they have Sony Michelle. And they have a guy who they went high on, who people are high on. And this is kind of a new look for the Patriots going and, and making a splash and paying some big bucks to a guy that that is not, it's, it's the atypical Patriots running back. It's not random guy number one who comes here and costs $52 to play for our team and now he's a Super Bowl champion. This is a guy who a lot of people thought was a great player and here he is going to the Patriots. I think he's better than Nick Chubb, and, and so do you, Eric. What do you think about the rich getting richer and the Patriots somehow at 31 out of 32 get, once again, another great player potentially as they move forward? 
Oh, I think it was a great pick. Like you said, they're finally investing in running back position instead of just getting guys and plugging them in, which has been working for them so long. This is like the first time I can remember the Patriots investing in running back since they got Corey Dillon. They drafted a guy they can mold, teach him the scheme, and he's versatile. As you can see, he's dynamic. I, I think he catches the ball good for a run. I watch him. He always jumped off my screen. He, The run game beat Oklahoma in that playoff. They didn't throw the ball a lot of the Supreme, they gave it to him and Nick Chubb, and he didn't make plays. Like, after he bumped, he came back and made a great play. Like, so I really love his tenacity. I just like him as a football player. Every time I watched Georgia, I was really excited to see him play. For him to get 1,200 yards splitting carries is so impressive. This guy started every game and didn't have to me up. And, and to, to go off of that, Nick Chubb was the other guy that he was splitting carries with. And, you know, we have to address this. Eric, as we discuss, you know, the Cleveland Browns, if they argued we didn't take Saquon Barkley number one overall because we didn't need a running back, well, at the beginning of the second round, they picked Nick Chubb. So I asked the question back to the Browns, and I I questioned the answers that I'll get back because they just always seem to confuse me. But as Jay Bromley told me years ago, when the Cleveland Browns interviewed him at the Combine, they asked him how many things he could do with a paperclip and I shook my head and said, this is why they are where they are. So maybe that's what they asked Baker Mayfield, and maybe he's a MacGyver. Who knows? But they don't draft Saquon. So then people go, okay, you know what? They trust in Carlos Hyde, who they brought in. They trusted Duke Johnson Jr. They're going to ride this thing out. But then they draft Nick Chubb. So the confusion of the Browns selections continues into the second round. If you're going to draft Nick Chubb, at the beginning of the second round, when there's a ton of real estate available, why wouldn't you have just drafted Saquon Barkley? Um, I, that's the question. Like you said, I don't understand it, but it's just a different pick for me because I feel like Nick Chubb and Carlos Hyde do some of the same things. So it'd be different if they got like a third down scat back who catches the ball out, out of the backfield and you can line them up in the slide and give him the ball. He can make things happen. I see when I watch those guys, they kind of play similar. They're downhill, bigger guys, not super speedy. So it's kind of different. Like, I, I would like to take one because he's fast and he's a home run here. I feel like you got two of the backs that do kind of the same thing. So I don't know where they're going with that. But. And, and that's – but that's the that's the confusion. And that's, that's where I am right here is that what are you supposed to do? when you draft Nick Chubb and you don't draft Saquon Barkley. But another thing that might confuse some people, at the same time, this is still arguably the rich getting richer. The Jaguars picking number 29 overall in the first round. They're normally used to picking in the top three, if not the top seven or eight. This time they're picking 29th. This is a new territory for them, a good sign for them, and a hopeful future for them is that they'll be at the bottom unless they trade up because they'll be doing what they need to do. They get Taven Bryan defensive tackle out of Florida, which means that the Jacksonville Jaguars, if we are to look at their roster right now of linemen, and, and a lot of these guys have been on the show and in my coverage over the last nine years of the Jaguars, and I want to thank each of these guys for being a part of it, including Yannick Ngakwe, as well as Marcel Darius, Malik Jackson, Calais Campbell. Those are your starters. They've all been on the show. Dante Fowler Jr., Dewan Smoot has been on as well. So you have Dante Fowler Jr., Dewan Smoot, Calais Campbell, Malik Jackson, Marcel Darius, Yannick Ngakwe, and you have Avery Jones. Now you add in Taven Bryan, 
Mike Bennett is there as well, and there's a few other guys. But arguably, if you say Ngakwe, Darius, Jackson, Campbell, Fowler Jr., Smoot, Brian, and Jones, that's eight players. They could have two starting defensive lines that can shift in and out in groups of four, groups of, and then make it even more if they go groups that, you know, they put three and keep one, two and two. I mean, this this is, you know, you were on a team with defensive line coach Tim Doust who liked the carousel of bringing guys in and out. The Jaguars have an opportunity to have two totally different lines whenever the hell they want to do it if all these guys take care of business and practice. What do you think about the Jaguars getting richer on the D-line? Well, like I said at the beginning of the show, you can never have enough D-line. You see, they I think they figured out the formula to see what works for them. They seen how far they got with having a strong D-line, strong defense. You have good up front and good in the secondary, so you can win games that way. And you see what Philly did. They went eight deep, and they won the Super Bowl. Keep those guys fresh, and, and I think that would kind of happen in, in the New England game. Those guys got kind of tired. If you watch, because they were on the field so much, so you get – Solid play that you don't really lack off when you sell somebody in. That's so great to have when you could put a guy in and still keeps going without having a big drop off. You know, so I think it's good to have backup linemen that can come in and produce at the same rate, or unless they're prime enough to move some of those guys and bring another piece in. And when you see, I mean, outside of that, the argument can be made though that the Jacksonville Jaguars did not address their linebacker core early on, which which some people, including myself, said this could be a place to go. Miles Jack's on one side, Telvin Smith's on the other, and at the Mike linebacker, there's Blair Brown, who was drafted in the fifth round last season out of Ohio, and turned out to be a nice little addition that Doug Marone even made some positive mention of going through the season. Uh, what do you think about that, the fact that they did not decide to go for a middle linebacker and instead went to, like you said, you can never have enough D linemen, but was it a mistake to not go after a linebacker at that time? I don't think it was a mistake because you can't have a premier player in every position. Like, you see what's working for you. We're going to kill guys up front and lock down in the secondary. You got two fast guys on the outside. Now you need somebody who's stable in the middle. You don't need a superior playmaker. If he's good enough to get the defense organized and make some plays, that's all you really need. So now, and you have the versatility of being versatile on D-line, you can move Calais in on third down, put Brian Fowler in on the outside, with Ngakwe. you can do so many things now. Add another guy, and then you're flexible. If you want to make a move, you can put two of those guys together in a package in the draft pit and get a linebacker or get another receiver. You can do so many things with that. That's why I don't really feel it's a bad pick. And if you don't have a elite guy that just jumped off your screen for your first-round pick, get the player that you wanted or the best talent available. And when we look at this, I mean, the Jaguars seem to trust in what they have at linebacker because when you go through the draft and see who they picked, you know, they drafted Tanner Lee out of Nebraska who also played at Tulane at the beginning of his career. They got him in the sixth round. When we go to the seventh round for the Jaguars, that's where they take their first linebacker, Leon Jacobs out of Wisconsin. So they make that move. They get a punter at the end of it. But I want to go to the last two picks of the draft because the normally at the end of the draft, people are going, ah, okay, you know, they call it Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick. But this guy was anything but irrelevant. I think this he was picked where he was picked here because of consistency and because of the fact that at the end of, you know, I mean, he, he did well at the end of his career and kind of was riding that high. 
in college and, and not being in every single season. Oh my God, look at this guy. But then there's a guy before him who has connection to his father who played for a long time in the NFL. And then if even if we go two picks before that, there's a guy from the ACC that joins him. So out in Tate's 253 overall, going to the Bengals, wide receiver out of Florida State. The Bills at 255 take Austin Prohl, whose father, Ricky Prohl, played for a very long time, including for the Rams, wide receiver out of North Carolina. And the final pick, Mr. Irrelevant, 256 from the Redskins, Trey Quinn out of SMU goes to goes to Washington, D.C. I mean, normally these picks are not ones that people focus in on that much, but I can't help but look at the Redskins' final pick of Trey Quinn, who's a guy I covered out of SMU in my coverage of the American Athletic, and I think this is a great pick. I think this is a guy that can make your roster. And then out in Tate and Austin Prohl, I mean, these are two guys from the ACC. So, I mean, call me crazy, but the end of the draft still was exciting for me for some of the players that were picked here. Yeah, a lot of people just like throwing those guys to the side. Those guys can play ball. These guys who are undrafted want to make teams to do things. So just because I never like the term of Mr. Irrelevant, this guy was good enough for somebody to want to draft him. So I don't just say, oh, this guy can't contribute and all that. And at worst, you can get these guys special teams to have an impact. But you don't have to be every down player to make an impact. So I just don't like people just throwing these last few picks to the side. Like, oh, he's Mr. Relevant and all that. He was good enough for somebody to want him. So he can't be that bad. No, and, and that's the thing. And, and with Trey Quinn, like I said, I think this is a guy who could make a, who could be a steal, maybe end up on some people's fantasy rosters later on in the season if they're paying attention like they should be on wakeupcalldt.com to the fantasy football page. We'll take a final step aside here with Eric Kroom, and we'll wrap things up in just a moment on our NFL draft coverage this morning. This is a wake-up call fast break. Hi, this is Kira from Looking Glass Events, where we're always giving you a reason to celebrate. Whether you have a small business, large business, personal event, or a wedding, we are available to plan and coordinate your dream event to life. Every detail, every step, Looking Glass Events is working with you all the way. Call us at 315-702-4653. That's 315-702-4653. Or contact us through our website, lgweddingsandevents.com. Looking Glass Events giving you a reason to celebrate. The Pennant Trophy Center on 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, has been making memories for Central New York for over 60 years. It has the trophies for your teams, and when you walk in there, it's so much more than just that. When you walk into the Pennant Trophy Center, you are immersed in the reality that anything can be customized, anything can be engraved, whether it's for your anniversary, your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your birthday party, whatever you want to do with that memory, that watch from grandpa, or that bracelet from mom, or that wedding ring that's been passed down through your family. If you want to get something engraved with a memory to last a lifetime, the Pennant Trophy Center, 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, where memories are made and where memories last a lifetime. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. 
Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315 315- 487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash DT. Proud to have you here on the broadcast every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and we appreciate you tuning in to the show here on MixLR.com backslash DT, which you can also pick up the MixLR feed on DT. Com. Eric Kroom and I are discussing Zaire Franklin. We had to get to Zaire here to round out the show. Save the best for last in him getting drafted. He's the only Syracuse player this season to be drafted. He was drafted in the seventh round. The Colts wait. You know, I feel like there's a lot of good seventh round real estate this year. Maybe it's because I'm paying more attention to the draft than I ever did. It's not that I didn't pay attention, but you know, more analysis or more looking at things, or maybe it's that I know more guys that are in the seventh round that are here now or their conferences. But I mean, I'm looking at, like we said, Trey Quinn, Austin Prohl. I'm looking at out in Tate, Justin Jackson from Northwestern went 251. He went to the Chargers who could use, you know, another guy to give some help to Melvin Gordon out there. Bo Scarborough from Alabama went to the Cowboys at 236. And right before him, the man that they call Zaire Franklin from Syracuse, their Mike linebacker, the quarterback of the defense, a captain for the majority of his time, a a representative of Syracuse football for the overwhelming majority of his time at ACC Media Day, is now an Indianapolis Colts who the Colts need a lot of help at linebacker. Don't shake your head at the seventh round and don't shake your head at number 235 overall, Zaire Franklin, going to the Colts because he 100% could make this team because the Colts 100% need a lot of help on defense, and he's a guy that can bring that to you, and he's a Mike linebacker, which is a tough position to play. Eric, what do you think about a fellow connection here, a a, a part of the brotherhood of Syracuse football? What do you think about Zaire Franklin getting drafted and him going to the Colts? Oh, man, I'm just excited for him. Seeing him grow over the years, I remember when he first came in, he just was such a humble, hard-working guy. I'm just glad to see his hard work has paid off, especially knowing some of his story and knowing what he's been through. I'm just so excited for him. And he's a hell of a football player, too. Not going to skip over that. No, he is. He's an, he's an amazing football player and you know, a very hardworking guy. And it was really funny. We, we did a live show at the Wildcat Sports Pub here in central New York on uh, 3680 Milton Avenue in Camillus right in the Home Depot Plaza. Make sure you go check it out, folks. 
NFL fans and, and, and people that like good food in general, this is the place to go. Very family-friendly. There was a kid's birthday party going on, people drinking at the bar, we're doing a live show, and it all somehow meshes together and works well together because Danny and Heather Tome know what the heck they're doing at the Wildcat Sports Pub, and I appreciate it. So with that being said, you know, we were sitting there, Jonathan Thomas, Desire Franklin, and myself, and, I, and, and uh, a lady came up and she said, who's your favorite team? And he said, it used to be Philadelphia. She's like, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm from Philadelphia. But he said, Philadelphia is not my favorite team anymore. My favorite team is whoever drafts me. And and I just, I mean, it's like the, statements like that, mentality like that, like I have no allegiance to anybody unless they give me an opportunity and then I'm going to show out and show them what I can do. He's a, he's a hardworking, hard-fighting guy. I'm excited about what this Philly product can do. And, you know, I, I just... I really honestly believe Zaire Franklin's going to land somewhere because I think that the switch from the defense from an attack mode defense of Schaefer to a read and react defense under Babers changed what some players look like, like Zaire Franklin. I think it takes some of the electricity or some of that fire out of the film. I think it maybe downplays his game and it negatively worked against him where I think Zaire so much better than the defense might have showed in the last two years. So I think that the Colts got a steal, and I think if Schaefer was still running the defense at Syracuse, then I think I think Zaire Franklin would have gone to the Combine. So, you know, this is it's kind of a unique situation. I thought that the defense was going to affect him in this way, but it's nice to see somebody take a chance on him because I think they might have found a nice little diamond in the in the rough part of this uh, in the ending of the draft so to speak I mean I think I don't know what you what you see in the defense and and what I just mentioned Eric but I think that Zaire's game was a was affected on film but when you look at the player himself he's going to show out and I, th- I think he's going to make a roster somewhere oh yeah like him and Paris Bennett were two of the best linebackers in the country it's just like you said we spoke about this before the scheme you can't get those type of players reading and reacting, you got to let those guys go and unleash them. They're football players. They're a linebacker from an aggressive position. You have to use your mind and attack. You can't sit back and wait and try to watch things because it slows you down. Those guys are hell of a football players. I just think the scheme wasn't fit for their game. But Zaire is a very high-character guy, too. He's great for the locker room. How many guys coming to the draft were three-time captain? It's not. You know, it's very rare. This guy was a captain as a sophomore. So he brings a high character and the type of quality in your locker room that you would love to have. And him and Paris Bennett were just so exciting to watch together. Even in that cover two deep, that defense, I, I hated the defense. But like you said, I think once he gets with the right team, and I think he'll make a team, you know, whether it's with the Coast or another team, because he's just such a high character guy and such a hard worker. And all those other guys, you know, I think they all have the chop. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that's that's all coming from Eric Kroom. Here on the broadcast, and, and Eric, before we jump out of this thing, something just happened as we went to the fast break, and that is that Eric Reed has now joined Colin Kaepernick in filing a collusion grievance against the NFL. I'm looking at what's going on right now. He took a knee during the national anthem with Colin Kaepernick when they were both a part of the San Francisco 49ers. And when we look at it here, it's he's filed a collusion grievance against the NFL, has allegedly hired the lawyer of Colin Kaepernick, and it says that it was reported by Dan Graziano of ESPN 
So that's that Eric Reed has hired Mark Garagos, an attorney who's representing Colin Kaepernick. And we're awaiting to see what this is going to be. But, you know, the, the collusion case, the, the fact that that Eric Reed for kneeling has been blackballed from the NFL. Colin Kaepernick, who people were saying, ah, you know, he's just not that good or we, we just don't have a place for him or this, that and the other that he filed a grievance and said, you know, there's there's obviously something wrong here. And so this is where we sit now. Reed did meet with the Cincinnati Bengals in the offseason, in this offseason, and he was asked about his protests during the national anthem, and obviously he was not signed by the Cincinnati Bengals. So now we look at this situation. Now, Richard Sherman has weighed in on it. He said, quote, we are concerned because he played at a high level for just about every year that he's played in this league, speaking on Eric Reed. He's made enough plays to be signed with a team and to make his money. He deserves his money. Safeties make a certain amount. I would think he's top five, top ten safeties in this league, so he deserves to be paid accordingly. So there is concern there because you would think a player of his caliber and his quality would be picked up by now, end quote. And this is where we sit, that Eric Reed and Colin Kaepernick are filing grievances of collusion against the NFL for preventing them from being signed, blocking them, supposedly because of their protests. What do you take from all this? Uh, like you said, I agree. He's uh starting NFL caliber football player. Why is he still hasn't got signed yet? So it's just a little iffy to me. And, you know, like even with the Kaepernick situation, he's better than a lot of guys on the roster. So it's, the NFL can't hide the issue no more. It's the protest. You can try to slice it up and shape it any way you want to, but it's because of the protest. It's not because of ability. I thought NFL was based off your ability and your talent and your ability to play football each and every Sunday. So it's just kind of very shaky to me that these guys won't even get the opportunity. Free agency has been open for months, and this guy hasn't got signed yet, but he's uh, been a starter in this league, produced in this league at a high rate high level and he can't even get a job it just it blows my mind that this guy is still unsigned and even Kaepernick is unsigned this guy went a whole year without getting signed but this guy they're signing off the street haven't played football in years you know it just doesn't make doesn't make sense at all no and and that's unfortunately where we sit right now is that you know I, I like what Jacksonville did I like that Jacksonville said in order to because they said you know kneeling was never about the flag. And Jacksonville said, you know what, we're going to kneel before the national anthem to tell everybody we're against police brutality and inequality. Then we're going to stand during the national anthem. So we're going to separate what it's about, stop making it about the flag or make people think it's about the flag because it's not. So let's make it about what it's about. Let's take a knee for what this is about and then we'll stand for the flag because we're not disrespecting the people that fought for this country. We're not disrespecting people of every color that put the flag on their back in this country, but we are knowing that there's problems in this country and we need to address it. So we will address it before the national anthem during games. And I like that balance. I think the New Orleans Saints did that as well. But for these guys that have taken knees, it's a decision. They're not shooting anybody. They're not stabbing anybody. People think it's disrespectful. I can understand their argument. I think it's disrespectful what happens to African-American people in our in our culture, too. And I would hope that people can understand that argument. But to tell somebody that they're not allowed to kind of just, you know, all the NFL owners come in agreement, nobody signed this guy. 
I mean, that's to, to me, you know, I can't, I can't do that as a business owner. I can't, I can't say, you know, you're an equal opportunity employer. I can't look at somebody coming down the street, irregardless of, I can't say, oh, I'm only going to hire uh, attractive women. Oh, I'm only going to hire, you know, whatever I consider attractive or I'm only going to hire people that are 40 and below. Oh, I'm, I'm only going to hire people that aren't pregnant. You can't do that. So essentially what they're doing in the NFL it is saying, if you do these things and we sign you and you come to our team and you do these things here with us, we don't like that. We don't want that publicity. So we're going to block you. But FYI, so is the rest of the league. I mean, you're taking this guy's livelihood, his dreams, his money. You know what? You're taking all this away from him because he's kneeling down. And, under, and listen, I don't kneel. I stand. I can kneel before and stand during. But at the end of the day, he's not hurting anybody. He's being peaceful, and you're taking away his dreams and his aspirations because he has had enough of the things that have happened in this country, which. I can more than understand. Yeah, and I think the problem is everybody gets the message instead of the act. The message keeps getting lost because of the act. Oh, why he do this? He disrespect the national anthem. The protest was never about the national anthem. It was about the injustices of colored people, of African American and Latino people in this country, how they get treated by the police. It was never, oh, I, I disrespect the military or disrespect the flag. But people take things how they want to take it. You can perceive the message how you want to perceive it when you're not trying to find the good in it. Like you said, he, he hasn't committed a crime. He hasn't hurt nobody physically or anything like that. But he's getting shamed of not being able to get a job. When we, we clearly know he's talented enough. This guy made it to a Super Bowl with a couple plays and potentially winning it and went back to another uh, in another conference championship, but now this guy can't get a job. So, And now Eric Reed can't get a job. Well, he was a starter in the NFL last year. It just doesn't make sense. Everybody so quick to forget the message that it's sad that all they see is the action. What about people that protest their jobs every day? I'm pretty sure they can get another job or when they want a higher pay raise and all that. He's not this, – this, this was supposed to make America great that we can be able to protest without violence, but now you're getting punished for it. You, better, you should be able to have your freedom of speech and do everything – that you're supposed to be capable of, which under the law that you should be able to, but now he's getting punished for doing something peacefully. He hasn't harmed anyone. All he did was stand up for something that he believes in. Everybody believes, oh, you should just shut up and play your sport. There are people at the end of the day. Your job doesn't define who you are. You don't go to work and say, oh, Dan, you can't say this because you're you on your podcast, you do this. You're still a person once you leave your occupation. Right. That doesn't take away from Dan the person. So, you know, it's just kind of iffy. Like, oh, people get judged because... You're an athlete, you should do this, you make this much money. You still get affected by things in everyday life. Just because you have a bunch of money, it just probably makes you less likely when things happen to you. But it's still a possibility. You're still a person. Just because it doesn't affect you doesn't mean it doesn't affect the past. So it's just crazy. No, and the thing that I find really funny is, you know, we look at other things, and, and I kind of I, I made a parallel for different reasons, but the same level of collusion is that Tim Tebow took a knee for God believes in God, and instead of it being called prayer or respectful toward God, the people in the media that are not named me, not named Dan Tortora, they called it Tebowing. They made a mockery of prayer, and then he became a lightning rod for being a Catholic Christian, and he got blackballed from the NFL. Oh, it's because he can't pass it. Really? It's because he can't pass the ball? He, he defeated the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger. He has more... 
He has more playoff victories than number one pick Tim Couch, number one pick Jamarcus Russell. He played better. You know, I mean, you look at Achilles Smith and some of these other guys. He did better than all of them. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay. So Tim Tebow, who was up for the Heisman three times, won the Heisman, went to national championships, won national championships, and then won a playoff game in the NFL. However, he needed to. You made a mockery of him kneeling for his belief in God and his prayer, and now it's a mockery of the flag for kneeling. I'm looking at the NFL blackballing Tim Tebow, blackballing Colin Kaepernick, blackballing Eric Reed, and like you said, we are people, okay? I never had a boss tell me, you can't talk about God on your show. But I also never had that conversation with my bosses because I got the vibe from a lot of people that I work for that if they found out that I said, God bless you at the end of my show, they would have told me, stop saying that. And you can't tell somebody, don't feel bad for police brutality. You can't tell somebody, hey, if you're, I mean, I'm part Hispanic. I've listened to my friends who thought I was 100% Italian rip on Hispanics, be racist against Hispanics, say horrible things about Hispanics, and then had one of my other friends tap him on the shoulder and say, Dan, you're Hispanic, and watch that person look over their shoulder at me and their face go ghost white, and then their apology, oh, I didn't mean it. I was like, no, it's okay. You meant it. You meant it. You just didn't know that I was here, but you meant it. It's okay. It's okay that you know what? You're racist. Admit it. And let's move on. If you because you got caught, I I, I had a one of my one of my closest friends. He has a member of his family that he's not like, thank God. And he said to me, "It's not racist if you don't hear it." So he says things about Spanish people all the time. And he said, "He goes, I say spick and span and spick. Spick is the N word for being for being a Spanish person. It's the N word. That's exactly what it is. It's what people use it for." And it makes me sick. I, I'm like heated in my studio when I say the word and I don't even mean it toward anything. And he said, if I say spick and you don't hear me, it's not racist. So there are people that think this way in society. And unless we call it out, unless we tell Josh Allen that you need to have a public press conference, unless we tell Josh Allen that he needs to sit with his teammates and talk with his teammates about this, unless we address the fact that Colin Kaepernick, I don't think he's a great quarterback, but he's damn better than, um, I named, I think I named like 15 guys last year. So, and Eric Reed, are you kidding me? Eric Reed, you're going to kick Eric Reed off a team and you're not going to sign Eric Reed when Eric Reed's done with, I mean, what's next? You know, and, and that's how I look at it. What is next? If Tom Brady takes a knee during the national anthem, are the Patriots going to release him? I guess that's the question I ask now. Exactly. So, I mean, that's that's where we stand, and things need to be addressed, and they need to be fixed. And, and we need to focus on the message because it turned into the flag, and it directed toward the flag, and that is not the message that is not where it was meant to go. As Eric said, I said, Rob Drummond has said it before. It is not, that's not what this is for. This protest is to say that there are people on a daily basis that do not feel safe around law enforcement. And there are videos and there are stories and there are horrific details of why people don't feel safe. And if you took a step in somebody's shoes that doesn't feel safe, maybe you would understand it. But it's not about the flag. It's not about the national anthem. It's not about World War One or World War Two. It's not about our military. It's not. 
And that's why I like what New Orleans did, and I like what Jacksonville did. But the NFL is in a place right now where nobody knows what the hell a catch is, and they try to address that. Now if you lower your helmet as a running back to go into the end zone, you can be automatically flagged. So now they're trying to protect the game, but this is another confusing thing. Everything that's been going on with the NFL, Roger Goodell having not seen the video that hundreds of thousands of people saw about Ray Rice until he was forced to watch it, taking him out of the NFL but leaving Greg Hardy in the NFL, letting Adam Pacman Jones play in the NFL after having, I believe, 14 charges against him, but then leaving leniency. You look at all of these things, and you look at Colin Kaepernick, who is... Adam Pacman Jones was involved in a nightclub shooting that involved somebody being paralyzed. And he played in the NFL through last season. Colin Kaepernick took a knee during a minute and 30 seconds in the pregame. And he's not allowed to play football. I want people to literally think about Adam Pacman Jones was allegedly connected to the shooting of a nightclub, which is one of the many things we could discuss, that involved someone being paralyzed for the rest of their lives. Ray Lewis was brought up on murder charges and found not guilty, but go back and read that story. Aaron Hernandez was brought up on murder charges, and the Patriots were like, oh, I guess you're not on the team anymore. But Ray Lewis, for everything that happened, go read Ray Lewis's story. It's very shady, and it's very sh- and, and people in the NFL, it's very confusing. Okay, but Ray Lewis is allowed to go out and do what he wants to do. Okay, there's guys that, that do horrific things. Greg Hardy, the pictures he took, the things that he did, he was playing for the Dallas Cowboys. And so I look at Colin Kaepernick and say, Pac-Man Jones can be involved in a nightclub shooting, but you took a knee for a minute and 30 seconds, and that is more dangerous to the NFL than anything else. The only thing it's dangerous to is racism. The only thing it's dangerous to is bigotry. So why doesn't the NFL come out collectively and say, you know what? We got some guys kneeling. We have some guys standing. We obviously have to take this issue on as a league. And why don't they go out and have a central unified message that they share with us on, you know, breaking news on CNN or whatever on all across platforms. Speak to the people with Roger Goodell and a representative of every team that's a player and a representative of every team that's in the front office. And let's talk about how we need to figure this out together And instead of having some guys kneel and some guys stand and afraid that they're going to lose their jobs, why don't we have a central, unified message that we attack? Because if the NFL continues to do this, the NFL, unfortunately, by default, looks like they're not listening to the message. And if they're not listening to the message and they just want to play some damn football and get out, you know, whatever that person said, go out there and dribble the ball and keep your mouth shut. If that's going to be the message of the NFL then where do we go from here as a society? Because you got to choose, Eric, if you're coming out of college right now, you got to choose chasing your dream of playing in the NFL or following your gut and your heart and standing up for something. You should never have to choose between your dreams and what your heart knows is true. They should always be parallel. And when they are when you're told to choose your heart or your dreams and aspirations, there's something wrong in the middle of that fork and it needs to be changed. The NFL has to address 
the elephant in the room and they need to collectively do something in the community to change this. And then maybe people will stop kneeling, laying down, standing, whatever. But if Pac-Man Jones can be involved in a shooting, Colin Kaepernick should be able to throw a couple passes here and there. It's all about the money thing. Even when they was trying to meet with some of the leaders in the NFL, they just tried to gave a donation to get people to stop kneeling. They don't want to address the problem. I don't, it's not even about the money. We just want to be acknowledged that it's a problem. At the end of the day, it's reality. You don't, can't keep living as far as reality. These things don't happen. Of course, they don't happen to you when you work these on your billion dollars. You're a billionaire, so of course you're not gonna have run-ins with the law and things like that. But what about the mass? You know, I'm a person who thinks beyond myself and think about people that affect. Okay, if you can make millions of dollars, but what about the people who's making twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand? These people are affected by the issues. So you can't just think of it from your point of view. You have to think about it from the mass. And it's just sad that you really have to basically put your livelihood over your dignity. It's a lot of people in the NFL who don't agree with what's going on, but they have a family to take care of. You can't jeopardize your livelihood for your family. Oh, I'm going to lose my job. I say how I really feel, you know, which is unfair. Like you said, you have to pick your dream over your heart, you know, and it's just so unfair that the problem still won't be acknowledged. Like, the comments from the Texas owner, like, what does that mean? Like, dude, and you still, and the thing is, they try to make excuses for things or try to, oh, I didn't mean it this way. What do you mean? What way did you mean it? You know? So, like, if that's how you really, I'm just glad it brings people's true feeling to the uh, forefront. Um, you know, when things like this, it shows people real character. You know, even with the Donald Sterling thing years ago, it showed who he really was. So you can't lie no more and say, oh, I just was doing no. When things come out, that's who you really are. Things like this show people's real character. So sometimes it's good, even just to spark it. It was just so good that he got the conversation with him. That's why I really appreciate about Captain McKee. He started the conversation. So people really couldn't run from these issues no more. And Oh, it doesn't happen. When we know in reality, things do happen like this. But... It's just such, it's so crazy that this man can't get a job. Him or Andy Reid still have, are unemployed when they're high-caliber football players. I bet you if Kyle Kaepernick won the Super Bowl the year before, he did the need, he'd still be on the team. Yeah, and, and that's, it is. It's it's just, it's crazy, and it's, and it's stupid. You know, if Colin Kaepernick, you're right, if Colin Kaepernick didn't take a knee during the national anthem, he would either still be on the Niners or he would be the starting quarterback of the Browns he would be somewhere, or he would be with the Jets. He would be somewhere. And I, my thing with Colin Kaepernick is I was like, they figured him out in, in the Super Bowl. Baltimore figured him out in the second half, and the next season, he was not the same. It was like everybody had figured him out. And then he started to get, you know, he was doing some good things here and there. So I was like, if we want to talk about talent, people started to figure out his M.O. But does he deserve to play football? Yes. I mean, when I look at this, and, you know, and the AAF, and, and if the AAF says no, Colin, and if the XFL says no, Colin, and if the CFL says no, Colin, then what's he supposed to do? He's supposed to spend the rest of his life looking in a mirror, saying, "I took a knee to stand against police brutality and the and the inequality in our country, and I lost my dream that I had when I was three. How, how do you tell a kid that he deserves that? How do you tell somebody that they deserve that?" When people have been involved, I mean, you look at, like I said, the Ray Lewis thing, involved with obstruction of justice and in the two stabbing deaths, and then he went on to win a Super Bowl. It's literally like, and it's in a sentence like that. It's like, well, he got involved in this, and then he won a Super Bowl. It's it's just, it, it, it makes 
no sense what goes on. It's like Ray Lu- Jam- Jamal Lewis. That's interrupt. Jamal Lewis, a former teammate of Ray Lu- of, of Ray Lewis in Baltimore. Jamal Lewis was found with cocaine. Not a little bit, a lot of bit. Okay, and he went to jail. But here's the fun part: the criminal justice system saw that Jamal Lewis had cocaine, pulled him over or whatever, let the season end, made sure Baltimore didn't make the playoffs, had him go to jail until the start of training camp and let him out of jail. If it was me or Mr. Eric Kroom, we'd be in jail right now still. And so, I mean, we look. you look at the system, you look at things that have gone on, but it's like, okay, so Ray Lewis was connected with murder. Jamal Lewis was connected with cocaine. There's rape charges and allegations and misconduct. What did Colin Kaepernick do? He, he kept, he closed his mouth. He put his knee on the ground and he looked up. That is all this man did. He didn't beat anybody. He didn't stab anybody. He didn't shoot anybody. He didn't, he didn't have cocaine all over him. He's not dealing out heroin on the streets. He took a knee and I know how much it hurts people's feelings with the flag, but it's not about the flag. It's not about freedom. It's about the lack of freedom. That's the irony. Everybody's like, well, he's against freedom. No, he's not. That's exactly what he wants is freedom. And it's been taken away from a group of people in society. He is telling you that that flag should stand for everybody, not some people. And why would you live in a country and keep your mouth shut if there are people living down the street who think when they look up at the flag that it's for you and not them? That's ridiculous. I didn't, we didn't have people die in World War II and World War this and that and the other. There were people of all different colors and backgrounds. The Tuskegee Airmen, for goodness sakes. Why don't we respect our history? In war, we battle together, we die together, we win together. But in regular human life, we can't stand together against something that's wrong? Peacefully? Nobody's firing weapons. We're trying to do this the right way. And I said, if Colin Kaepernick wants to go stand on the steps of the LAPD building... If he wants to join me on the steps of any police department, if he wants to talk about what's wrong, I said, Colin, I'll give you my number. I'll hold your hand. Let's walk together. No guns, no knives, no nothing. Just us. It needs to end. And I'm and, and Eric, I, I, I'm heated about this, but this is a thing. It's another part of the disrespect of all this. You don't have to be black, African-American, whatever people want to call it. You don't have to be of a certain group that's being disrespected to feel disrespected. If you called me up today and told me a story about when you were pulled over and you were handcuffed for having your for not having your right turn signal on and they kicked you in the face and left you there and spit on your back, Eric, you should know me well enough to know that I'm coming out to where you are and you and I are going to discuss this. And if you want to cry on my shoulder, I'm going to stand there and then we're going to figure it out because you can't look at the situation and go, well, thank God it's not my kid. Thank God it's not my race. Thank God it's not Italians. Thank God it's not German people. We can't do that. And that's a misconception of, of the movement that when you are moving toward equality, every single color of the rainbow should be there. And whether it happens to you or me, Eric, we need to stand up for each other because if we don't, what the hell are we doing in society?
Yeah, it's just so crazy now. It, 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 it's got to a point where you're seeing people being executed on camera by the police department, Eric Garner, Alter Sterling, and there's nothing being done about it. These people are even not even held accountable. The guy in South Carolina was shot by, like, you have to shoot a man five, six times to say, oh, this guy was at risk of my life. And it's so sad. I'm a proponent of equality for everybody. I wouldn't want to see a white person, a Latino person, being executed on camera, and there's nothing being done about it. And the man just happened to speak his mind, now he can't get a job. Come on, it's a problem in this country where we're supposed to be equal, but everybody's not treated equal. You think it's okay for people to see their relatives being killed on camera by police without justifiable cause, without without a cause or anything like that? Oh, we such a so. What was the excuse for them choking Eric Garner out? He's trying to sell cigarettes. Oh, that's such a crime. When it's people getting off a rape case and not even going to jail, like the kid from Stanford who got a, a, a sexual assault case and his, his parents wrote a letter to the judge and he only did three months. But his kids from Vanderbilt got 20 years. You know, it's just such an inequality in this country, and nobody want to adjust the real problem. That's the problem. You got to have these conversations to get to a, a good a good ending. Nobody want to have these conversations because it's so touchy-feely. But honestly, it's not an equal country for everybody. It's just a reality because how people are being treated and when people are losing their lives for no probable cause or anything, not even the danger. Oh, and there's nothing being done. How many of these people have been, how many police officers have been prosecuted for the killing of these unarmed black, black men? I only seen one, one of these officers be convicted of the crime. So come on now. And like you said, it doesn't matter what race it is. You shouldn't want to see a person be killed anyway. We're all one race. We're human. You know, regardless of the color of our skin, I don't look at you different because, oh, you're a different nationality or race. I wouldn't want to see nobody get executed on camera or killed or harmed by the police for a, a lack, oh, because you're trying to sell CDs or you're selling cigarettes or anything. Come on, this is just crazy. If everybody want to act like it's not a problem. It wouldn't have got a knowledge until these things started being on camera and film. Stuff like this has been going on for years. It's just we didn't have outlets to see things going on. Now you have all these media outlets for Worldstar on Facebook. Where they putting these things on camera where these people are dying from being pulled over or just stopped without no probable cause. Shooting, like, it's just ridiculous, man. Nobody wants to address the real issues, and I'm glad you spoke your mind about this because a lot of people don't like speaking the truth. Oh, well, I don't want to ruin this and all that. You're a person before anything. It doesn't matter how much money or all that you got. You have a dignity and respect about yourself, and if you're not going to be truthful about things in America, you're just living a lie every day of your life. And I'm not, I'm not one of those persons who are going to, I'm not one of those people who are going to just sit here and, oh, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. If I feel a certain way and I see things, I'm going to be honest about it. Whether it was vice versa, if it was happening from the black race, doing it to white people, I'm not going to say, oh, well, it's not a problem. It is. But it is a problem. Like, I'm not about to sit there and say, oh, well, maybe they should have did this. There's no probable cause for you to take somebody's life unless your life is in danger. And most of these cases, their life is not in danger. It's just nobody wants to hold these people accountable for the actions they're doing. That's the problem now in America. Nobody holds holds anybody accountable for the things they do. But y'all can pull up something 30 years ago and convict other people of crimes, but you have something, the evidence is right in your face and nothing is being done. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing, is that we have to sit here today and have these difficult conversations that we shouldn't have to have. And that is, that's an issue. That's an issue and it's a problem that, you know, and I said, if I was born 80 years ago and everybody's like, hey, you know, I've had people tell me to my face that, you know, somebody who's like 70 years old or whatever, they're like, eh, he says the N word, but you know, that was, that was his time period. That's what he did. And I'm like, you know, you can't ask him to change. I said, what do you mean time period? 
If you call me a WAP as an Italian or a Spick as a Hispanic person, I'm hearing N-word in my head and I'm hearing, I don't want to be around this person. I don't want to talk to you. But I've heard people say it. I've gone to work and had somebody call someone a blank WAP over and over and over and over again. And I'm and I had my hand on the door handle and I almost broke the door off. I almost broke the door handle off the door. And the girl's looking at me. She goes, are you okay? I said, forget about me. Are you okay? You're the one that's getting called this word. But it, you know, it's, it's, it, it's in society and we kind of just turn our head. You know what? It didn't affect me. It didn't happen that's to me. And that's a, and it is, it's a huge problem that people think if it's not my kid, if it's not me, then, eh, you know, we'll wait and see when it is me. But how about this, folks? If you help out your brothers and sisters, maybe it never has to be you because we take care of it. So, you know, Eric, absolutely. I got to talk that and I got to I got to speak my mind. And so do you. And the thing is, when push comes to shove, if I had a boss in radio right now, he probably would have told me to cut the feed. And guess what? I'm very proud to work for myself so that we could have this conversation today because you and I needed to have this conversation. And I'm happy to hear two people of two totally different colors say, I don't want to see anybody get hurt. Isn't it amazing how Eric and I can agree on something because we're human, yet it takes people forever to sit down and come to an agreement that something is wrong. We figured it out. Now it's time for you guys to do it. I appreciate everything that, that you bring to the show as always, Eric, and I appreciate the fact that you talk to me about real life because it's conversations like this that I hope made somebody listening today maybe feel a little bit safer when they go to sleep tonight. Yeah, like you said, we got to start having these conversations. You don't have to be, even if you don't agree with another person's stance, these conversations need to be had because everybody wants to skate over the issue because it doesn't affect them. Well, the reality affects so many affects so many people in the world. So it's just like I said, I don't want to see anybody get hurt. You can be a different race and agree on things or disagree, but it has to be and talked about an issue in America. Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate everything as always, and I look forward to talking with you soon, Eric. And thank you for taking some time again. Uh, I appreciate you having me. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. That coming from Eric Kroom, who spent the whole show with us today speaking on the NFL draft and getting some deeper into situations that we had going on and then beyond that to do some awesome things. So I appreciate the opportunity that we had to speak with one another, and I appreciate the fact that uh, that he's obviously here with me to speak with me. So thank you for all that, that you have brought to the table, Eric. I, I very much Appreciate your time, and I appreciate what you shared with us. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to have a totally new segment to the show. It's called Coaching with Class, and it's going to feature Katie Kalinske, who was in Jim Beheim's room for the last seven years as a member of the Syracuse staff for men's basketball. Katie Kalinske will be joining me this Thursday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, Thursday, May 3rd. We'll have Through the Looking Glass, proudly brought to you by Looking Glass Events, and so much more coming up. This Thursday, we look forward to talking with you then. In the meantime, go to Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, Twitter at Call DT, Instagram at Wake Up Call underscore DT, and make sure that you always are going to cnypopfestival.com to buy your tickets. Between today and Friday, tickets are on a ginormous sale. So make sure that you go and buy your tickets to the greatest show to come to Syracuse University, Syracuse University, Syracuse, New York ever. Okay, we have Syracuse football, Syracuse basketball, and entertainers from TV and movies 
all coming for one ginormous event at the F-Shed at the Regional Market. You don't want to miss it. There's nothing like it in the city. There hasn't been anything like it in the city, and we're happy to be the first to do this, and we're happy to be something new, innovative, and amazing for the community. It's my way to say thank you to Central and Upstate New York for loving me and having my back. Let's have some fun with the CNY Pop Festival. Buy your tickets at cnypopfestival.com.